Here's my testimony. Something that I know will be so important to be shared. First and foremost, I think, wow, where do I even start? Do I start from the very beginning, from my childhood, when I was being, I wore, I was raised by a single mom, who I must say worked very hard to give me the best future. Um, <clears throat> but with that, there was shortcomings and other roadblocks and things that she probably couldn't see coming because she was just so focused and so burnt out at the end of the day to do all that she can to help raise three children on her own. Because I didn't have a dad to build me up, to love me, and just build me up um, daily in a non-sexual way, which I believe is the job of a father, any father, to a daughter or a son. Build them up. Build them up and make them feel like they're confident, that they don't need approval from anyone, especially daughters. Because women have this, or girls have this thing with their beauty and their looks. And boys have it somewhat, but not as much, I would say, with girls. Um... And they need that affirmation. They need to have that. It's so important. If it's not given to them, they start to seek it from outside sources. And for girls, it's usually boys. Um, and it seems like society tries to normalize, normalize that and make it cute or a regular thing for girls to get boyfriends or to be affirmed by that, and now the world is really affirming and normalizing girls having these, like, boyfriends at 13, 14, 15, 16, and, like, taking pictures and doing the most, when these are still very much babies, and it was, that was happening when I, it was, when I was 13, but I feel like now because social media is such a much more larger platform, um, it grew to another level. And it's almost like a popularity contest of who can be the most famous online, who looks the best, and or like a competition, really. And it's just there's so much pressure on a young person to have that already might have so many other pressures in the world. So my heart really just goes out to every young girl and boy right now in the world that has to deal with all of those pressures every day when they wake up. And it doesn't make any sense to us adults because we're like, there's so much more. We've lived life already. And those things don't really truly matter in the end. Um, but yeah, so because I didn't have that affirmation and that love of my father, I then chose to seek that in boys, and whoever would show me attention, whoever told me I looked beautiful, whoever liked my body, and the sad thing was, my mom, from my remembrance, 
never really sat me down and talked to me about how sacred my body was and how much I should value it and value being a virgin. So I didn't really, you know, put much importance on that. I just moved forward and did what I thought everybody else was doing my age, getting a a boyfriend, having people like me, taking pictures I shouldn't be taking to get the attention that I thought I wanted. Um, And it didn't get me anywhere, literally. None of the boys I dated, I'm not married to, I'm not with, and it was all just a bad idea. It was all drama, people talking about people, a lot of degrading. So, that really just led me to become a young mom. At 17 was when I was first pregnant by an ex-boyfriend in high school. And at the time, the law was that when you were under 18, your parents had authority over your body. And so once my mom found out that I was pregnant, um, she decided she wanted to make the final choice for my body. And as much as I feel like I wish the law wasn't that way, in a sense, and as much as now I would say I don't believe in abor- an abortion, and I have thought about if I had those babies, because I've had more than one abortion, What I always wonder what my life would be like. But I, in a sense, if I could say I'm thankful without feeling like I murdered an, a possible human being, I would. But I'm thankful that I didn't have to experience that at a much younger age. But only two years later, at 19, I ended up getting pregnant again. Really, maybe even a year later. Because then at 19, I gave birth. So probably about a year later. I didn't learn my lesson, as you could see, clearly. Um, I just thought that, you know, I was invincible and pregnancy wasn't a thing. And I just wanted that uh, love, and I thought with love came sex, and I thought it was natural. It was so normalized in the circle I was in, and nobody was telling me otherwise. I didn't have an older mentor. I didn't have an older woman speaking in, into my life, and my mom, you know, if I was to talk to my mom, my, my, my mom might have said, like, you know, no, don't do that. Boys just want that, but there was no depth to that. I didn't have any real substance or background or understanding to it, and that is right there. A large part of what I desire girls to have now and boys but I don't really feel like I have the calling to minister to boys I feel like I have the call to minister to girls um, and who knows maybe my son can minister to the boys at one point but yeah I really would love for girls to have that substance, that understanding that it's bigger than 
making a good choice and making bad choices. It's bigger than what the Bible says. It's bigger than that. It's just that that understanding, that agreement, that something that can seem so hard to do is actually really not that hard and really helps you in the end, in the future. And if you just, if you set up your life to allow you to prevent situations from happening, you could really create a great life. And that is what I would, I desire for my children. I desire for them to not be struggling single parents. I want better for them. I want them to break that generational curse off. I followed in the footsteps of my mom. And so that's my number one prayer is for my children to break that off of them and to not have any of the um, issues or those same things that their parents have dealt with. Um, I want better for their life. So, yeah, back to, so boom, at 19, I'm pregnant with my son. I get into it with my mom. I move out. She doesn't know I'm pregnant. I'm staying with one of my close friends from high school, but that's not permanent. Then I go stay with a best friend, Jessica, but that's not permanent once her mom knows that I'm pregnant. Her parents are going through a divorce. Her her mom is like, I just can't mentally handle this situation with your friend and, and her having a baby was really hurt me at the time. But now, you know, 11, 12 years later, I understand like all of what she was going through and, and just, um, you know, knowing that it was more than that, like if she really could, she would handle housing us and helping me, but she couldn't. So from there, I was picked up from my aunt, my favorite aunt, Carly, and moved into a shelter. And for about a good, it felt like a year, but it was actually only maybe a month and a half. Crazy to say, but every day felt like a month. And the whole month and a half felt like a whole year. I just hated life. I thought like, wow, like how did my life come to this where I'm basically homeless, I'm pregnant, I don't have a job, I feel like I'm being held in in jail because they take all of my stuff from me when you check in, they took your phone, they took all of your cars, they take everything from you, you have a curfew. And then they wrap it up in this thing called, like, oh, but we're helping you in the end. And we're we're working on a goal with you. And looking back now, I could see how that would help some people. But I just see so many flaws and holes in their system and in their program. And just so much emptiness 
And I feel like it was because they were missing the love of God in the program. And there was actually a lot of racism. Um, a lot of racism and just a lot of things that didn't make any sense. So once I got a an exit plan, I was gone. But then that was temporary. So literally I was moving from house to house to house to house. Whoever would allow me and my son to come in. Then I had to go back with my mom. That always didn't work out great because me and my mom bump heads. We always do better when we live apart. She tries to parent my son when I just want her to help me. Um, then when... Quentin was about two. Um, I went through a very crazy time in my life. I felt like I was really struggling financially and I needed to make more money. I had someone approach me telling me about basically they made it sound like a fantasy life. Like if I meet with these men, talk with them, and spend time with them, and there may be sexual things happening, um, I get paid all this money, basically for being young and pretty, and giving them my time, so I've said no for many months, and because I just felt like I didn't, you know, sounded dangerous, but while I said no to that, I actually had agreed to having a sugar daddy, which that didn't work out either. I met with him about three times, and then I quickly realized that he was, like, kind of crazy and wanted to control me and wanted to make me be, like, his secret thing that he, I don't know what he thought, but... I just was like, I have to get out of this, and I blocked him and never went back. I'd never gone on the website. I never looked back, basically. Um, so then I thought, okay, I'll just go into this escorting thing, basically a very sugar-coated term for prostitution. Um, I, to this day, can talk about it with people and not have any feelings of embarrassment, but to talk about it with my family, um, I think is something that would be extremely challenging for me because I'm afraid of hurting them and their reaction and of, of shame. Um, and then there's also the reaction of, people that, if they were to know that, to feel like they can always try to hold that over my head, even though I know that God made me a new creation in Christ. And I don't look like I've been through that. He truly made beauty from ashes. So that is something that I kind of think about from time to time, and I kind of just put it to the side. But when it's I'm prompted and it's 
being talked about, I can sh- talk about it freely in the setting of of friends or random women that I've never met, but haven't talked about it freely with my family. But one day I will be able to, God willingly. Um, I think I did that for about six months to six to eight months and then got out of that. The police came randomly one day on like a sting operation. Um, They put me in handcuffs. They threw my stuff everywhere. They said, "Um, never come back or you'll go to jail. The officer really wanted to take me to jail. He was really, actually, he seemed really upset that I didn't have a record and that there was nothing that he could really hold over me. And I just remember crying and just thinking, oh my God, if my friend comes back, he's going to go to jail. This will be his third strike. I wasn't even thinking about my own self. I mean, I was, but I wasn't. I was more concerned about him going to jail because I didn't have a record. But looking back now, I really truly feel like, wow, I have been protected in the most ugliest crazy situations ever and I still to this day don't from what I know have that on my record I've never paid a fine or a ticket for any of that and I just praise God for that because that really could have been on my record or I had I could have had to pay for that so it's just a miracle from God that I didn't and truly a part of my past um From there, I started working security and really just trying to do school, get my education, um, got my license, got my first little car, still was trying to like party, but then do church, and then I quickly realized there's no such thing as both, that's called being lukewarm. So then I really believe at like 24, I really took my walk with Christ seriously. I'm now 31 and I really see a significant difference. Um, I dated a lot of men in between then, in between then and now. I went through that season of telling men that I was celibate and that I wasn't going to have sex before I was married. And the majority of the response was, wow, that's amazing, I'm down, but then when time passes, their true colors come out, and they just say that to plug you in, and then they're all over you. So, they came and they went. 2016, 2017... 2006, yeah, I met my ex-husband, even though legally we were never legally married, and that's like a shocking thing for me that I could talk about on another podcast at a gas station, not a gas station, a car wash. And never would have imagined all of what happened that I talk about on the other podcasts. But I was clearly still heartbroken from my ex before him. 
um, thinking I was going to marry my ex before him, started planning, did the premarital counseling, just invested so much time, invested my son, they had a relationship, I was so close to his family, I loved his family so much, I really truly felt like that was it, and we had a future forever together, but God had different plans, and I truly wish the best for him still to this day, and his family, and his church, even though there was some pain, some really bad pain, especially with his pastor's wife, his first lady, um, I forgive her, I set her free from my heart, and from my mind, and I know that there's just reasons why certain things occurred, and I just thank God for the blessing that they were to me in that season because there were they were blessings to me. And, you know, she was a very wise woman and pastor was a very wise man. And they they knew their word. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so. I'm learning now. I have no business talking to anybody when. I'm truly not healed. And getting I'm now getting to the root of things of why I allow certain things and why things are just the way they are. It's a lot of childhood trauma, a lot of um, manifested things that shouldn't be the way that they are. Um, people pleasing, no boundaries, just accepting things, um, and it's, so I'm now really in a, like a, a journey of understanding my worth. I thank you for listening to my testimony.